Hey, this is Abigail. And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad you're with us, as Nehemiah said. We're glad you're joining us this morning, worshiping, whether you're online or here in the room. It's so good to be together. I mean, there's so much power in gathering together. I love it. I've already been encouraged. I needed church this morning. I needed you guys this morning uh, as much as anybody needed anybody else. And it's just so good. I've already had people pray for me. I've already prayed for other people. And there's just something so beautiful about gathering together and lifting up the name of Jesus. We've been in a series called Summer Stories, and we've been going through the book of Mark over the summer, looking at the life of Jesus as Mark records it. And we've been all about saying, we can't follow somebody we don't know. So let's study Jesus' life. Let's look at who he is. Let's dig into the scripture together. And it's been so good. I've really enjoyed it. And today we're in Mark chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at a big chunk, that first story, 1 through 20, in Mark chapter 5. And many of you may already know it. It is the story of Jesus casting out legion. He meets the demoniac um, as he gets off the boat. And we're going to be going through that story. And I've titled this week's message, When Pigs Fly. When pigs fly. Some of you are laughing. You already know how this story ends, but it's going to be good. Uh, As Nehemiah said, we are here to help people find hope and take their next step in following Jesus. So that is the whole spectrum. If you have been following Jesus for a very, very long time, you still have more to grow and a next step to take in following him. If you're still figuring out if following Jesus is is what is next for you, we're so glad you're here. We want to partner with you as you make that decision to follow him. As we jump into scripture this morning, I want to just pause and pray as, that God would speak to us through his word. God, would you speak to us? We thank you that your word is living and active. God, would you have your way this morning? Whatever each one of us needs, would you meet us individually? If we need encouragement, if we need equipping, if we need uh, correcting, whatever, God, we're here to meet with you. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All of us want a miracle in our life. None of us want to be in a situation where we need a miracle. We're like, yes, God, show up for me. But we don't actually want to be in a situation where we need him to show up. And I think over time, we've actually lost a little bit of what the word miracle means. You know, it's kind of one of those things that, like love, we be, we've begun to use it very liberally. Like, we love tacos and things like that. Well, with miracles, we're like, it's a miracle. I found a, a, a spot this close to the entrance of Target. And it's like, <laughs> that's not a miracle. They just left right when you got there. A miracle is when God intervenes in our situation and in our life. And I think we need to restore a little bit of that meaning because he still moves. He's still living and active. My favorite miracle and the miracle that we love to see is when somebody gives their life to Christ, when they make that decision to follow after him. Let's not forget that that's a miracle. That is God transforming a life and changing a destiny and giving them a brand new identity. We're all about it. But there's a lot of other forms of miracles too. There's miracles of healing. There's miracles of protection and provision, all sorts of things. And one that we don't talk about very much is deliverance. How many of you are just sitting around all the time talking about casting out demons? Some of you are like, yeah, maybe me. But no, most of us are like, that's not what our normal conversation is about. It's not our favorite miracle to think about or talk about. But we see it's part of Jesus' ministry. And up to this point, we've gone through the first four chapters of Mark. We've seen Jesus healing, and it will mention he's casting out demons, but we haven't really seen it play out yet. And this is a big one. This is like the demon story of the Gospels. And so we're going to be looking 
at how Jesus deals with the forces of evil. How does he deal with the demonic? And what does that mean for us? So let's look at Mark chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Well, we're already going to pause. Verse 5. They went across the lake. For those of you who've been following along in midweek, this week, we were looking at the end of chapter 4, and it's the famous story of Jesus calming the storm. If you're new to church or you're kind of, um, just to refresh your memory, there is a story where the the fishermen that he's called to be his disciples are out on a boat with Jesus, and Jesus is taking a nap. And this is the end of Mark chapter 4. And they are out there, and the storm is raging, the waves are high, and they are freaking out. And they're like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care we're about to drown? He speaks one word, peace be still. The storm calms, and he rebukes them for not having faith and for having fear. So it's right after that that they've made it across the sea, and they're getting out of the boat. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. We've been talking about in the book of Mark, Mark likes to highlight and say unclean or impure a lot, pointing back to the law in Leviticus and in the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, saying this was ritually and ceremonially unclean. He had a demon. He had an impure spirit. And so this man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. He lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Verse 4, For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So this guy really needs help. He needs a touch from Jesus big time. He is living in the tombs. This story is recorded in two of the other of the Gospels, and one of them mentions that he was naked. Um, so he's out there unclothed, cutting himself, and just out of his mind. He has an impure, unclean spirit. And it's in this state of being that he comes to Jesus. It says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself among the stones. As I was studying this passage this week, I was thinking about how, how did he get here? You know, the, the Bible doesn't really share how he got to this state, but I was thinking, you know, there had to be at some point in his life where this wasn't the case. It actually even says in um, verse 3 that they couldn't bind him anymore. It implies that at some point they, they could actually restrain him, that this had progressively gotten worse over time. And a lot of commentators were pointing out that this shows the natural progression of sin. It's, it's more dramatic and more extreme than it often is in our life, but it's a story of all of creation, that when left to our own, things just progressively get worse. And this idea of being unclean is repeated in Mark, and actually there's four separate ways that this man had broken laws that the Jews would have held. First, he has an unclean, unclean spirit that dwells in him. Secondly, he lives in a graveyard. They weren't allowed to be around anything that was dead. If they did, it was a seven-day process of cleaning and cleansing. He was in Gentile surroundings. He was in the Decapolis. We know that, too, because it's mentioned, but also it says, Son of the Most High, which is a Gentile reference for God. And then the fourth thing is he's surrounded by people who are raising pigs. We haven't gotten that far in the text yet, but we're about to get there. And so these are four strikes against him. He's unclean. In fact, the Samaritans hated the Jews so much. You guys know the story of the good Samaritan who, who helps somebody that it's a parable Jesus shares. And um, 
we've heard before the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along very well, but we maybe don't know some of the backstory to that. The Samaritans, when the Jews were rebuilding the temple, would take pig carcasses and put it in the construction area, and then the Jews would have to, for seven days, go through the cleansing before they could start over again, and they would do it over and over, and it just aggravated the tension between them. So there's some tension between the Samaritans and the Jews, and this man is living among unclean things, and there's this demonic influence in his life that has led him to this place. And I think sometimes we think, I would never be there. I would never be in that place. But the reality is, is we are still in a similar battle. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says that we are not fighting, the struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus saying, guys, so often you are making the struggle about yourself and the flesh and control. He's like, but we are in a real spiritual battle. There is an actual enemy out there. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so this is, this is the state that this man is in. I want to talk a little bit about demons because it's not something we talk about very much, so I want to give a little bit of a context. I think we make two mistakes in the church often. We usually swing one way or the other. Some churches like to think there is a demon behind every rock. That was the devil. That for sure is the devil. We need to cast that out. I have no money because of the devil that takes my money. I have a spiritual demon of, of no money. And no, you just spend too much. It wasn't a miracle at Target, and it wasn't a devil that spent all your money at Target either. (laughs) The other way we swing is that we think nothing is of the enemy. We think everything is just natural. We assume that it's just natural consequences for this or that, and I think both are very unhealthy extremes. It It is not wise to assume everything is of the devil. It is also very unwise to assume that nothing is of the devil. We need to have spiritual discernment. In fact, Hebrews describes this as maturity. The writer of Hebrews is writing, and he says, spiritual maturity is seen in our ability to discern good from evil, to have spiritual discernment, to see what is actually going on in a given situation. It's part of growing in maturity in Christ. So sometimes we underestimate what the enemy is up to, and sometimes we overestimate what he's up to. What do demons actually do? What do they do in our life? One thing they do is they tempt you to sin. Some of you who know the Bible really well are like, wait, aren't we tempted by ourselves? Yeah, we're going to get there in just a second. But this is 2 Timothy 2, 26. And that they will come to their senses, this is a prayer, and they will escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So the devil and demons set traps for us to fall into sin, to lead us away from the will of God and into their will. They set traps. James says that we are led by our own desires. This is James 1, 14 to 15. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So I want to break this down just for a second. The enemy is not making you sin. The enemy is creating traps that entice you and lead you by your own natural, selfish, fleshly desires to sin. 
And the thing about sin is it's always incremental. It's always just, we never assume where it's going is where it's actually going. We're not like, soon I will be living in the tombs and cutting myself naked. We're like, I'm not going to be there. We also don't assume that it's going to lead to cheating on your spouse. It's not going to lead to this sort of an addiction. It's not going to lead that. It's just a little thing. It's just a little flirting at the office. It's just this to relieve a little pain. It's just this. Sin is always incremental. It starts small, and it slowly tries to take ground. Sin is also divisive. It, it leads to division within ourselves. It leads to division in relationships. It, re, it leads to division in the church. James, in the beginning of the chapter, talks about when you don't have faith, it can lead to being double-minded, which literally means double-spirited. That there's division that comes as a lack of faith and sin in our life. It, it reveals and isolates. Because this is, look at this pattern either in your own life or in the life of somebody you know. When sin is gradually given into and it becomes more extreme and severe over time, the promise is that it's going to be okay. That it's going to work out. That it's not that big of a deal. But at some point, it always gets revealed. That's how bait works. When James is using that idea of being enticed by our own desires, it's this idea of how a picture of fishing lure. It looks good to the fish. It doesn't end up very well. James even says it leads to death. Satan loves to set traps that entice our natural desires and lead us astray until the right time when he can expose it. So the first thing is demons tempt you to sin. Secondly, they distract you from God's will. 1 Timothy 4 says the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That there are people who think they are following God, but they are following a false doctrine. They are following something that's been twisted or manipulated. It's this idea that we can mix and match spirituality that we can pull from here, and this sounds good, and this, this just makes more sense to me. And we, we stray away from what Scripture actually teaches and, and go to something that just feels good to us, and that's demonically influenced, the Bible teaches. They also inflict suffering. We see that throughout the Gospels, that one father comes to Jesus saying, this is what's happening to my son. He has a demon, and the demon is causing him to go into fires and into water, and it's causing him pain and suffering. That's not surprising. When we were in our series on Psalms 23, we talked about how the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give life and life abundantly. So this man, through whatever means, is now tormented by evil spirits. He's hurting himself in his own body, but his, his war is not against flesh and blood. It's against evil spiritual forces. So picking up in verse 6, back in Matthew, or Mark 5, when, G, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. This is a pretty dramatic scene. If you've grown up in church, you've maybe become callous to the story, and if you're hearing it for the first time, you're probably like, this is pretty intense. This guy is living among the tombs. He, he's not in a good mental state. He is afflicted by the enemy. And while, when he first saw Jesus, Jesus said, come out of him, you impure spirit. And he responds by saying, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Isn't it interesting how demons have good theology? They recognize Jesus for who he is before pretty much anybody else in Mark. James, going back to James, also talks about how they, they know who Jesus is. They recognize him. Demons generally have good theology. They won't teach you good theology. They're going to teach you bad theology. They're going to try to lead you astray. But they recognize who Jesus is in this moment, and they beg Jesus to let them go into the pigs. Demons generally want a place to live, and so they are looking for people. There's another story where Jesus casts out demons, and then they come back to the same person because they couldn't find a new home. And so when the demon replies and says, my name is Legion, for we are many, Legion, in that context, was a Roman number in their army. It was 6,000 soldiers and 120 horsemen. That is a lot. That is an unholy holiday inn. That is a lot of demons living in one person. We don't know that it was the exact number. They just say, for we are many, comparable to a legion, thousands of them. The suffering that this person was going through was extreme. And we might not be experiencing that same suffering, but we're in the same battle, waging not against flesh and blood, but of spiritual forces. And Jesus just speaks the word, and they beg him. They already know they're leaving. They're just begging him that they don't have to go to the abyss. We know that from one of the other gospel accounts. So how horrible must it be if they'd rather live in pigs. The pit of hell must be pretty bad. And Jesus sends them out, and they go, and the pigs run and jump off the edge. What's interesting is the town's response. Pick up in verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. You know, as we're reading through Mark, there's something powerful about reading through it in order because we pick up on things that Mark has already said. At the end of chapter 4, 
when Jesus calms the storm with just a word, it's very similar to this story where fear ensued after Jesus performed the miracle. They're on the boat and they're afraid. And Jesus calms the storm and it says they're terrified. That there's something about having a greater revelation of who God is that leads to a fear of the Lord. In this moment, when this man's sitting there clothed and in his right mind, the townspeople are afraid. They're fearful. They don't know how to respond to that. Jesus, we don't want you here. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Jesus had just gotten there. He had just crossed on the boat. He got off the boat, encounters this man, the pigs fly off the cliff, and the town comes and says, we don't want you here. Do you know what's interesting is Jesus gets back on the boat. The very next verse, verse 18, is Jesus was getting on the boat. And it just got me thinking, how often is Jesus wanting to move in my life, in your life, in a situation where we just say, we don't want you here. We don't want you to move in that area of my life. You can move in this, but don't, that's too much. How many, how many times have we put up walls to what we'll let Jesus do? Jesus calls out one of the churches in Revelation saying, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And he tells that church that he stands at the door and knocks. Are they going to let him in? Is that, is that happening in your life? Is that happening in, in one part of your life or holistically in your life where there is an area that Jesus is coming to bring freedom and healing and salvation, but you say, no, I, d I don't want that here. That what it's going to cost seems like too great of a price to pay. They weren't even willing to find out who Jesus truly was. They just saw, we lost thousands of pigs. This guy can do some freaky stuff. I've never seen that guy clothed and in his right mind. I'd rather not deal with that. Jesus, please be on your way. And if we're honest, some of those who've been following Jesus for a long time, we kind of forget that. That we might still have an area or two that we're trying to keep him out of. But for those of us who've been following Jesus for a short time, it's maybe not as hard to imagine. Jesus calls me to do what? This is part of following Christ? That seems, that seems like too much. We put up walls. Maybe, maybe you have friends or family members that you've been praying for. You're hoping they'll come into the kingdom of God, that they'll give their life to Christ, and you see that they, they have assumptions about what it's going to cost and mean for their life, that they're not even willing to find out who Jesus really is. They have walls up before he even really steps foot into their life. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. Isn't that an interesting part? Jesus didn't let him. Jesus has been calling people 
disciples and the crowd's been growing. He has the 12 he's chosen and you see wherever he's going to do ministry, more people are showing up. We know he had more people following him than the 12, but this man wants to come with him and he says no. And as we're doing this, I, be, I began to see this pattern that we've been talking about as a church for a long time. We say, know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, make a difference. If you've gone through growth track, you're familiar with those four things. Because people ask us, how, how do you help people find hope and take their next step in following Jesus? And we say, these four things. We have specific ways that we're trying to have these four things happen in people's lives through Sunday mornings, through small groups, through worship, through one-on-one discipleship, all these different areas. But we want people to know God for the first time and also over and over, to have a bigger picture for who he is. We want people to find freedom, that there are things in their life that are holding them back from who Jesus is calling them to be. We want people to discover their purpose. What is he calling you to individually? How has he gifted you and wired you? so that you can go and make a difference. Not for yourself, not for your name, but to build the kingdom of God. That's what we're all about as a church. That's what we teach in Growth Track. But you see it over and over throughout the Gospels. Because look at this. Before this moment, this man did not know who Jesus was. He has an encounter with Jesus, his no-God moment. The demons inside of him recognize who Jesus is. And because of that, he finds freedom. He finds freedom because there's freedom in Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom. He came to set the captive free. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. He came to set us free. And because he finds freedom, he's trying to figure out what his purpose is. And this is, this is fun for me because he instantly assumes his purpose is just to be with Jesus, which should be our assumption that when we find freedom, We should want to be with him. He's like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I don't know what you need. Maybe you need me to set up and tear down tables. Maybe you need me to do this, Jesus, whatever it is. I just want to be with you. I want to follow with you. And and Jesus says, no. There is usually a process involved in figuring out what our calling is. There is usually an unfolding over time where it gets more narrow and more specific or even changes slightly. And that's part of being in relationship with Jesus and hearing his still small voice and letting him lead you and guide you and not just making an assumptions that if this happened in my life, this is automatically what it means for me. Jesus did not let him go, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Do you see that pattern play out in his life? He was enslaved and then delivered and then commissioned. That there was bondage in his life and he was set free and then he was set on mission. That is the story of the Christian life. That we are spiritually in bondage that we have sin that has separated us from a loving God who wants relationship with us. But he sent Jesus to come and set us free to forgive our sins so that we could be in relationship with him. When we do that, we're beginning to have a new life in him. We're born again. We find freedom along the way and he tells us what our gifts are, what he's calling us to, and how we can make a difference in the kingdom of God. I want to encourage some of us today that Sometimes when Jesus says no to what we want, there's a greater purpose in it. I would actually argue that 
there's always a greater purpose in it. If Jesus is the one saying it, if, if God is the one saying no to something you're asking for, he has something else planned. He's not saying no for no reason. This man comes to Jesus, Jesus, can I follow you? I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, I have a different assignment for you. Go and tell your own people what the Lord has done for you. Go and tell your own people what the Lord has done for you. Sometimes when God says no to us, he has a different assignment. And I think, naturally speaking, this would have been an opportunity for offense. Like, this guy wants to follow Jesus and Jesus says no. He could have been offended. It would have, the opportunity is there. And I think sometimes we miss out on what God has for us because we were offended by what he didn't have for us. That we miss out on what he's calling us to because the picture in our mind was the different than, than the picture that was in his mind. But God, I thought this is what you had for me. We need to trust him. Trust that he knows best. This whole region was amazed at what God had done in his life. What would it look like if we took this posture? That we said, whatever God does in my life, I'm going to tell other people about. I think that would be pretty powerful. I think it would change some things in our families, in our workplaces, in our circles of influence. If we just said, you know, I'm just going to celebrate what God is doing in my life, the prayers he's answering, the ways he set me free, the things that he's delivered me from, the way he's given me direction and peace. I'm just going to tell people what God is doing in my life. I think it would be much more effective in our evangelism. I think it would be something that people are drawn to. I think it would be powerful. I think people would be amazed. You know, Jesus says that we should let our good works be known, and how much more should we let his good works be known? People would be glorifying God. Whether or not it even leads to a good conversation afterwards, they're going to have some sense of, this is real. God is doing something. People had seen this guy in his previous state, and now they see him clothed and in his right mind, and they can't help but say, God did something. It might not have even been what they wanted, but they can see that God is moving. What if we paused and, and looked at those four things of knowing God, finding freedom, discovering your purpose, making a difference? Because it's not a one-time thing. It's not going through those one time and you're done. It's knowing Him more and better him revealing himself to us in new ways, which leads to us finding new freedom because of us seeing who he actually is, which helps focus in on what we're called to and helps us further the kingdom of God and make a difference. What if we were to say, looking at these things, where am I at right now? It doesn't matter if it's your first time through them or you've been through them many, many times without even knowing the names of them. But what is God speaking to you right now? Does he, does he want to draw you into knowing him in a greater way in this moment? Is there something on your heart that, that's just like the compassion you see here is resonating with you or the love of God or the freedom he offers where you're just like, man, it's, 
it's opening my eyes to something new. Maybe, maybe you've never even given your life to Jesus, and this is where you're at. Seeing God for who he is, the Savior of the world. Or maybe you need some amount of freedom. That there is a sin in your life that's been habitual, or there is something that you maybe even feel is from the enemy in your life. Or maybe there's just something that you've been contending for, for breakthrough on, and you just need some freedom. We'd love to pray with you for that. Our prayer team will pray with you after service. Maybe you're wrestling with purpose right now. God, what's, what is my next step? You feel like you, you resonate with the guy who says, Jesus, I, we're doing this, right? And Jesus is maybe saying no, and you're like, well, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for this transition and this new season that I'm entering? Maybe you're in a season of waiting and listening for what God has for you. Or maybe you've heard it, but you haven't stepped into action yet. What if this man, after being clothed and in his right mind, and Jesus said no, and they left on the boat, just didn't really do anything about it? It would have not affected those many people who were amazed. Maybe you need to step into what God's already been speaking to you. Maybe it's, it's that season. I don't know where you're at, but I want to have us pray as a church that we would take that next step individually. Because if all of us in the room and watching online and listening to the podcast later do this collectively, things change. There's no way things don't change. There's no way it doesn't have an effect on your family. There's no way it doesn't ripple into the workplace. If you're doing what God's asking you to do, if you're growing in your understanding of Him, if you're finding greater amounts of freedom, if you're going through this same process of being enslaved and then delivered and then commissioned, it's going to make a difference. See, and this is what I love about gathering together, is that we spur each other on to love and good deeds, that we can encourage each other And I believe that God's already speaking to different people in the room about which one of these four seasons they're in right now. And I just want us to to actually step forward in it. But a big part of stepping forward is linking arms when you do it. So I encourage you, maybe tell somebody you came with, maybe text somebody later today, let somebody know what God was speaking to you in this moment. So that collectively... We can do what God is calling us to do. I want to spend a little time in personal prayer, and then I want to pray for all of us. And this is different than how we normally close, but I just kind of want us to to sit for a minute and process with God which one of these spots we're in. We saw Jesus do this miraculous thing, and he can do anything. He just calmed the sea, gets out of a boat, and sets one person free from thousands of demons. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He can help you do whatever he's asking you to do. Let's just pray and ask him to speak to us. God, we thank you that you are compassionate. 
as uncomfortable as this moment might be for some of us or as freeing as it might be for some of us, we're just thankful for the opportunity to have you speak to us, God. We want to hear from you. We want to we live out what you've called us to individually and corporately. God, we don't want to just go through the motions, but we want to truly live in the fullness of what you have for us. For those who need a greater revelation of who you are, God, I pray that you would speak to them, that they would have a hunger and desire and thirst to get into your word, to see who you really are, your character and your nature. Would you speak to them powerfully and show yourself to them? God, for people who are wanting breakthrough in an area, that there is something that they know is holding them back, would they find freedom in this moment in Jesus' name? Would things change in just an instant, a moment? God, for those who are wrestling with what you're calling them to in this season, for what their purpose is right now, God, I pray for confirmation or leading or direction. I pray for patience as they discover it. God, for those who are in a season of of being called to go and do that very thing, would you empower them, equip them? Would they be like the disciples who left encouraged and with boldness after being together and in prayer? God, we want to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know we are your hands and feet, so would you use us, whatever you want, God. Free us, speak to us, commission us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I love this section of Mark where Mark is clearly helping us see the authority and power of Jesus. Mark is highlighting his human nature and his divine nature. That he is both fully God and fully man. And we see that he has power over his creation when he stills the storm. He has power over the spiritual realm when he casts out demons. He has power to heal and he has power to save. A few weeks ago when when Jesus reads the Pharisees' minds and says, just so you know, that I have authority to forgive sins, I'll also heal him. He has the power to transform a life in a moment. And if you haven't ever given your life to Jesus, if you've been wondering, is this for me? He is real. He's the Savior of the world. He came and died for me, for you. And so if you want to make that decision today to give your life to Christ, we would love to pray with you, to to partner with you as you begin your journey of following Jesus. It's as simple as admitting that you need him, that apart from him, you're not headed into eternity with him. But you believe that he came and lived a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross and rose for your sins, and you're choosing to follow him from this day forward. If that's you, I just want to pray with you now. God, forgive me. I'm sorry for the ways I've broken your law and broken your heart. I believe that Jesus came to set me free, that he died and rose again so I could have a relationship with you. I want to live in light of that truth. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.